a seat. And as you grab your seat, uh, can you go ahead and grab your Bible and find your way to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Okay, this is week 12 of our study through this Gospel, this historical account given by a man named Mark, which we're looking at the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. And as we look at this, we're kind of really just asking a big question, that if you're anything like me, you didn't grow up in the church, you're probably asking this question. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're asking this right now, but you're here with mom, but it's this. So what? Like as we look at the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus, like what does that actually mean? Does it mean anything? How does that affect my everyday life here in Madison, Wisconsin? And this is what we're going to continue asking today. And as we get into this, okay, let me me start here. As we get into Mark chapter 5, I want us to just consider two of the most abused words in the English language. And these are words that we have all said, all right? These are words that have been told to us all the time. We may even say it or hear it every day. We hear it from people that we love and we know, but we also hear it from complete strangers. And the interesting thing about these two words is that when they are meant and they are kept, they can bring a lot of comfort to our lives and they can add actually a lot to every single one of our lives. But when these words are broken, Man, it could take many, many years, or for some, even a lifetime, to overcome. And these are words that are kind of just embedded, right, in every advertisement that we watch, in every political speech that we hear, in every kind of wedding vow that is made. We hear it all the time. And these two words are, trust me. Trust me. And I know that even as I say that, some of you, you have like some really serious issues with trust because you have been burned by people, that people have hurt you severely. And when you hear those words, trust me, it's very, very difficult. And for our individual lives, if you just think about it, guys, if we never trust anyone, all right, we're going to find ourselves in kind of a tough spot, very, very isolated. But on the other hand, guys, if we trust everyone, we're gonna find ourselves in trouble. And so the thing that we have to do is kind of navigate through life, and mom and dad, you know this with your kids, is we have to learn, like who is it that we can actually trust? And it's not just who can we trust, but what can we trust that person for? And we teach our kids this, and this is the stuff that we have to figure out in our lives as well, because many of us, like we can be trusted with some things, but maybe not necessarily everything. You know, so for example, if you ask me like advice or directions to get like the best donuts, cheese curds, or beer in Madison, I think you can trust me that I'll be able to give that to you, okay? But if you're going to trust me to like do your taxes or remember your birthday, okay, probably not going to work out too well, right? You're going to get hurt and maybe go to jail, okay? So we have to ask these, these questions. We don't just ask like who can I trust, but what can we trust that person for, And guys, in Mark chapter 5, the message of Jesus to us today is this. Jesus is coming to us right now, and he is saying, trust me. Trust me. And this is so significant, and this relates to and impacts all of life and the experiences that come through everything that we go through. 
And my prayer walking into this building this morning and really even up on this stage is that as we look at this account of Jesus in Mark chapter five, that our hearts will be stirred to be able to trust him and to learn what we can actually trust him for because of who he is. But the big idea is this, is that Jesus can be trusted for everything all the time. And you just need to know this. So let me show you why. Mark chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 21. So here's what we see. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports that Je about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I can even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler in synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So this is what God has for us today, guys. And in looking at this passage, all right, what we see is kind of Mark creates like a sandwich, all right, that he starts off with a story, then he inserts another story, and then finishes up that story, all right? So there's, there's really three scenes that we're gonna look at that are all about these two stories, and we're gonna walk through each of these scenes. And the first one is this. If you're a note taker, the first thing that we see is a father's request, all right, and we see this in verses 21 through 24 with this man named Jairus. And just to catch us up to speed, prior to verse 21, Jesus, if we remember back last week, he, he had like a run-in with a demon-possessed man. You remember this? This guy was crazy. He was naked. He was hurting himself, just doing all kinds of wild stuff. Jesus, out of his love and by his power, he sets this, man's free, this man free, casts out the legion of demons. He ministers to the people there. He gets back in the boat. He comes back across the sea. And as he arrives on the shore, there is a crowd of people. If you look back, verse 21, there's a crowd of people that are just waiting for him. 
These are people with very real needs. Jesus' ministry was marked by him just meeting the needs of people. And I love this about Jesus. I absolutely love this about Jesus. He's unbelievable in his outpouring of love. Unbelievable. In his affection and his service for people, in the midst of crowds just flocking to him and surrounding him. But in the midst of this massive crowd, if you look back to verse 22, it says there came a ruler of the synagogue, this guy named Jairus. And Jairus comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. And we need to know a little bit about Jairus here, okay? Jairus, being a leader of a synagogue, okay, he, was a, he would be a pretty well-known, probably prominent man, respected. He's a Jewish leader. He's leading this synagogue in the town. So this is the place where people would come and they would worship God. The Jews would gather together and they would hear the word of God and worship the God of the word. And we see that Jairus, he comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet. And so for us, maybe you're like, well, man, if I saw Jesus, I'd fall at his feet too, right? But you got to understand in this time for Jairus to do this, this would have been wildly radical. People watching this situation would have been like, what the heck is that guy doing at the feet of Jesus. See, Jewish men did not tend to do this. All right, they didn't run. They certainly didn't throw themselves at people's feet because it was not seen as respectable. People would run to them and oftentimes throw themselves at their feet, but they didn't do that. That in normal circumstances, Jairus would have never done this. He was this prominent Jewish leader. He certainly knew about Jesus He knew there was a lot of controversy that was surrounding Jesus and many of Jairus' peers and his friends, they hated Jesus. And so under normal circumstances, this would have never happened. But what we see is that these are not normal circumstances. That Jairus is just begging. He's desperate for Jesus to leave this crowd and come to his home because verse 23, if you look back, he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. And so just come. Lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So his daughter is dying. And guys, this is important, all right? Jairus, he may be a prominent, maybe somewhat powerful, respected, influential leader, but at this moment, hear me, he's just a dad. He's just a dad, and his little girl is dying. And the Gospel of Luke records that this is his only child. And for those of you who are parents, right? I mean, this is like worst case scenario. This man loves his daughter like I love my daughter. And he's done everything he possibly can to help her to get healed. But he just watches her day after day sink closer and closer to death. And so Jairus is powerful, but it makes no difference when it comes to this. He's powerless in this moment. And guys, I want you to know that the truth is we are much like Jairus, okay? That we're powerless in the face of death. We, we can't run from it. We can't stop it. We can't bribe it. We can't outspend it. That you can be wealthy. You may be powerful. You may be very intelligent. You might be strong. But that will make no difference because we live in a world where people die. And even though we might try to ignore it and act like it doesn't exist, there's no way to avoid it that each of us will in fact face death, either of our own or someone close to us of a loved one. Happy Mother's Day. I know this is a little intense, but guys, I want you to know, 
Okay, it's a couple things. One, this is the way we teach the Bible. We, if you're new, this is how we do it. We just kind of go through verse by verse and just like, so we're not tempted to skip like the awkward hard parts. All right, but I want you to understand this. There's something so good for us here today. So incredibly good. And so I just want you to, us to consider this, okay? There's a man named C.S. Lewis. And in his novel, Hideous Strength, okay, he says, says it like this. He pictures it like this. He says, look at your hand. So I want you actually, in this moment, he says, look at your hand in this moment. And think to yourself that this hand will one day be the hand of a corpse. That the hand that you're looking at right now will one day be the hand of a skeleton. And then he asks, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? For Jairus, as he's confronted with this reality of death, he comes to Jesus. He hears that Jesus is in town. He leaves his daughter on her deathbed with her mom who's just kind of taking care of her and he just runs to Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, desperately begging Jesus to come to his home and to heal his daughter. I want you to see this is a man who will do anything and everything to see his little girl get better. And again, this is radical that he would be doing this. Because for Jairus, his friends and coworkers, they hated Jesus. Some of them were even trying to figure out how they could plot to kill Jesus. But Jairus, in this moment, he's beginning to trust Jesus. He knows, he's, he knows that Jesus can heal. He hear the, he's heard the reports. I mean, there's chances are that he's seen these healings in or around his synagogue. And he is just so desperate that he just goes. And maybe this is like some of you today. Right, that you're, you're, maybe you're just surrounded by people that they don't believe in, they don't love, they don't follow Jesus. But as you walk through life and you just experience life, you begin to wonder. Maybe you've suffered, you've gone through stuff, you got tired about chasing everything at Maslow's pinnacle of hierarchy of needs and you're just like, you're tired. You're like, I don't have any, like something more in my life. I'm, I got, I, something's missing. And maybe this wonder is just what keeps bringing you here. And your wonder is causing you to start considering Jesus, which is why you find yourself at a church. And maybe you're even here, like me, like 16 years ago, and you're here on your own because no one in your circle is following Jesus. But you're just here because you're like, I, I, I hear some stuff. I've seen some stuff. I, I, I want to figure this out. You're searching just like Jairus. It's a beautiful place to be in. So Jairus, he comes to Jesus and he begs him to help. He's thinking, man, where else can I go? Where else can I go? And if you look at verse 24, Jesus listens to him and he goes with him. Now, just guys, know this about Jesus. Jesus is available. Do you know this? I know some of you, you would be, a, you consider yourself a Christian, but you don't ever want to bother Jesus with your prayers because you're like, he's too busy. There's a few billion people in this world and my headache doesn't matter right now. I want you to understand Jesus is available. He's surrounded by this crowd and this random guy just comes up and Jesus is like, I see you, I hear you, I'll go with you. And Jesus just tags along with him. This crowd is following him and this is where we get into the second scene. A, a woman's faith. We see a woman's faith. This is verses 25 through 34. And so Jesus is walking with Jairus 
to his house. The crowd just continues to follow him. It's getting crazy. It's, there's so many people that it's hard for him to kind of walk through. And Jesus, in this instance, he's surrounded by so many needs. But in this massive crowd of people, we meet one person that Mark wants us to see and that Jesus actually sees. Verse 25, take a look. There's a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, so in this crowd of people, there's this woman who has this chronic bleeding issue, maybe some type of uterine hemorrhage, like we just don't know. There's some type of bleeding that's going on for 12 years. And so just as long as this little girl, Jairus' little girl was alive, this woman had been suffering with this bleeding. I mean, just think about that, 12 years. I mean, where were you 12 years ago? 2011. You know, some of you weren't even born, which is crazy, right? But for 12 years, this woman has suffered greatly. And Mark says in verse 26, if you look, that she had suffered much under many physicians. She'd spent everything she has, but was no better. She actually grew worse. And so as you're looking at this woman, I want you to see a woman who is desperate and destitute. She's absolutely desperate because she's tried every form of treatment. She's gone to all the doctors. She went the naturopathic route. She's prayed. She's fasted. She's gone to like these healers. She's gone to every single person you can think of, but nothing has worked. And in fact, she just continues to get worse and worse and worse. She's just desperate. But on top of that, she's destitute. Because she's poor. She's literally spent all of her money to try and get better. So she's absolutely impoverished in this moment. Because this woman is in a horrible situation. And believe it or not, it's actually worse than this. That in addition to being desperate and destitute, she was also desolate. And so if you know your Bible, you think back to the Old Testament law. This woman was seen as unclean because in Leviticus 15, the law said if you have this kind of condition that you had to be kept away from other people. Because in the law of the Old Testament, blood represented life. And so the loss of blood was a picture of the loss of life, ultimately death. And so for religious and hygienic reasons, she was cast out of society, made to live among the fringe. And so not only has this woman suffered like physically and financially, but she's also suffered socially. I mean, just think about this. For 12 years, no one has touched her for 12 years. No one has hugged her for 12 years, given her a kiss. No one's laid their hand on her to pray for her. 12 years, she's had no physical contact. And so she's physically suffering, but as she's physically suffering, she's just alone. And she's not even allowed to go to the temple. She can't go to synagogue, so she can't go to the church. She can't be around her church family because she's just not allowed. She's not allowed to go along and worship God with his people. She's in a bad place. And in addition to this, guys, Leviticus says that she would have been forbidden to enjoy marital intimacy because of her condition. And so what this means is that she was either never married or that she was likely divorced. And so she has no husband, she has no kids, she has no money, she has no church, she ultimately has no hope. Now, as we consider this sandwich, which is getting pretty close to lunch and that makes me think of one, I'm hungry. As we consider this, We're looking at Jairus, we're looking at this woman. In in many ways, this woman is very different from Jairus. 
Because if you consider this, Jairus was known by name. This woman is nameless here. Jairus leads a synagogue. She's unclean and not allowed to go to a synagogue. Jairus has money and family. She's poor and alone. And so they're very different. But at the same time, this woman is actually very similar to Jairus. That they're both helpless. That they can't fix their situation. They both have heard about Jesus and what Jesus can do. This is verse 27, if you look back. And like Jairus, this woman had faith that Jesus can help her. She's just desperate and she's looking for something and someone to help. And in verse 28, she says, if I just go and touch his robe, that will do more for me than the last 12 years of treatment and medicine. And that will make me well. Like Jairus, this woman is beginning to trust Jesus. Doc said, this woman knows that she is absolutely helpless, but she also knows something else, that Jesus specializes in helping the helpless, amen? This is who Jesus is. And chances are, someone in here, you need to be reminded of this today, because maybe you would look at your life right now and think, man, I have shipwrecked my life. My life is an absolute mess. I've made some decisions, they were bad, and I just, it's, I'm in a bad situation. Or maybe you would look at yourself and maybe have your own version of like uncleanliness. And maybe you feel unclean because it's the shame that you walked in here with because of what happened last night, last week, last month, last year. Maybe it's the guilt that you carry. I want you to know that I believe that if this woman was here today, she'd get up in front of every single one of us and she would just say, reach out and grab Jesus. Reach out and grab Jesus. Look at verse 29. As she reached out and grabbed hold of Jesus, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And so just again, consider this scene. This woman's not supposed to be there around this crowd. She's not supposed to touch anyone because if she does, she's unclean. If she touches someone, they'll be made ceremonially unclean. And somehow she presses her way through this crowd. She's probably on her hands and knees, maybe as a symbol of worship, because it says it touches, she touches the hem, the other gospels, the bottom of his robe. She just reaches out. And as she does this, as you see her reaching out to touch Jesus' robe, I want you to see this as an act of faith. This is absolutely an act of faith. And for some of you here, this is why this is significant. I remember being around Christians and they would talk about living a life of faith and being saved by faith and walking by faith and being kept by faith. And I was just like, this is just altogether like just very abstract to me. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Maybe you're sitting here and you hear about that stuff and you're like, I don't know what that actually means. But I want you to know this. I want you to see it here as just reaching out to Jesus. Guys, that's what faith is. She has faith in her heart, which is a gift of God, and she reaches out in faith, trusting and knowing and believing that if she could just touch the tassels on the end of his robe, that he could be her healer. It's reaching out to Jesus, that's faith. And she has faith, she has saving faith. She's trusting in Jesus, and in that instant, she's healed, her soul is healed. She becomes a worshiper of Jesus, and her body is healed. And the power of God is just unleashed in her life through her faith. And I, and I want you to know this is how it works. 
This is how it works, the power of God being unleashed in our lives through faith. And, I, and, I, and I've said this before, guys. You, some of you, you don't know my story. You've heard bits and pieces. I want you to know that the power of the risen Jesus is real. I've experienced this in my life, that I was an addict, womanizing, just pitiful excuse of a man, and I just buried my life. And I remember the night that everything came crumbling down, and I remember hearing about Jesus for years in college, and I remember being like, I have nowhere else to go. I gotta go to Jesus because I think he can help me. And I remember sitting in my little room, 226 North Enterprise in Bowling Green, Ohio, surrounded by beer cans and drug paraphernalia, and I'm Googling how to become a Christian. And I remember I found a website, and it's whatever it told me to do, but I was just like, Jesus, I believe. And through faith that night, he changed my life. I didn't go through a 12-step program or anything like that. It was the power of God unleashed through faith that he broke chains of addiction and insecurities. And I'm not perfect. I'm not who I need to be. But the power of God is still with me, causing me to not be who I was last year. The power of God got released in this woman's life by faith. And let me say this, guys. This is beautiful. This woman was not allowed to touch anyone because she was unclean and she would make them unclean. And so I have to think when this woman was approaching Jesus, she was kind of like, if I touch him, I'm gonna make him unclean. Is he gonna get mad at that? But she's like, I gotta do it, I think he, he can heal me. And as she reaches out and touches Jesus, she does not make Jesus unclean, but Jesus makes her clean. That Jesus is pure, Jesus is sinless, Jesus is good, Jesus is God. And we don't make him unclean, but he makes us clean. You need to know this. You need to know this. And in your heart today, I pray that by faith you believe this. That whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you're believing, how disgusting and shameful and guilty you feel, when you reach out to Jesus, he can make you clean. This is the power of God that changes lives. Anybody, any changed lives in here from the power of Jesus being released in your life? I, I know stories. We don't want to do this because we're not super charismatic. We don't even raise our hands. But I know stories in here. I've seen people set free. I've seen people just get released from just mental illness and physical addictions. There's stories in every single row in this room. It's Jesus. And this woman experiences this she experiences the power of God and she's a picture of all who are saved by faith by reaching out to Jesus and receiving new life. And I love this, as she reaches out and is healed, Jesus perceives this. Look back to verse 30. He perceives it and he asks this weird question, hey, who touched me, right? I mean, this is a weird question because there's like probably like maybe upward of a thousand people all around and the disciples even say in verse 31, what do you mean who touched you? Like you're being run into by like hundreds of people over the last 30 seconds, right? But then in verse 32, Jesus persists and he looks around and he's trying, to, he's like, who did it? Who touched me? And again, I'm gonna keep saying I love this because I love this, okay? Jesus waits for this woman to identify herself because hear this, she needs to know why she has been healed. She absolutely needs to know why she's been healed. And this woman in verse 33 realizes she's been found out and in fear, 
wondering what Jesus was going to do to her, she's kind of like, okay, it's me. This woman is scared in this moment. She's wondering, is Jesus going to reject me and push me out like everybody else for the last 12 years? Like, are all these people just going to, what are, they, what are these people going to do to me? Look at verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, I want you to circle that in your Bible. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He says, daughter. Do you know that throughout the Gospels, Jesus doesn't call anyone else daughter except for this woman? And this is so significant. Guys, this woman doesn't have a Jairus. All right, she doesn't have a dad like Jairus that does what Jairus is doing for his little girl. She's on her own. She doesn't have a dad who loves her and loves Jesus and is always trying to get them to hang out, but she's literally on her own, by herself. And I know some of you ladies here, you're like this woman, that you're not like Jairus' daughter. And some of you ladies, you're blessed. You have a dad that loves Jesus and loves you. And if that's you, you need to text him, call him, hug him today, and just because that is a gift from God. But I know some of you ladies here, you don't have a dad. You don't know your dad. Or maybe you do know your dad, but your dad doesn't even see you and love you. This is this woman's condition. This is her story. And I know that some of you, you ladies, you can identify with this woman that your life has been marked with a lot of suffering and you've been on your own walking through it. And my encouragement to you would be to be like this woman and reach out to Jesus in faith and have the power of God unleashed in your life and have Jesus call you daughter and let God be your father. This is one of the reasons why I love the church. We are a family. We are the family of God. That we don't just come here and watch like a great band entertain us, but we come here and Jesus makes us family. Do you understand this? I don't have a dad. My dad killed himself my senior year in high school. But I have men in this room that are like spiritual dads to me. And when we come to Jesus, he brings us into his family and we, see, we get spiritual moms and spiritual dads and brothers and sisters. It's the family of God. Be like this woman and come to Jesus. Let him speak daughter over your life and let God be your father through faith. I love that Jesus does this in the middle of the crowd too. He publicly honors this woman because he wants to reinstate and reconcile her relationships with everybody else. She's been outcast and Jesus is like, no, she's here. And he does this because he also wants her to see, hey, I don't have a magic robe. He wants her to know how she got healed. Because this woman could have had like superstitious faith that wasn't really, she didn't know a whole lot. And so she could have walked away from that moment being like, I gotta find that robe. Whoever made the robe that Jesus is wearing, I gotta get one of those things because it's amazing, right? Jesus is saying, it's not my robe that made you clear, it's your faith. Your faith has saved you. And at this moment, her whole life is radically changed. 
Jesus heals her physically and restores her socially, but hear this, Jesus also saves her spiritually. And this woman is a picture of the salvation that we all have through Jesus. And I wanna explain this to you, okay? What's happening here is that this woman was unclean and now she's been made clean. Okay, so this is what's happening. See, it's not just her physical condition, but it's her spiritual condition that needed healed. And ultimately what we're seeing is that this, in, in and through this woman is the biblical doctrine of expiation. All right, so for you Christian nerds that you like those words, remember that you'll seem like a genius at your next Bible study, okay? That one's free today, okay? So expiation, here's how you understand this. The big idea as it relates to expiation is that Jesus came to cleanse us. And he's the only one that we can trust to do this. So I love the Bible because it's so honest. And the Bible speaks of us as people in the most honest, truthful way. That we are made in the image of God, we're loved by God. We all have dignity, value, worth, and purpose because Jesus, or we are made in the image of God. So you've never locked eyes with someone who doesn't mean a whole lot to God. You need to know that. But it also says that while we are loved, while we have value, while we have worth, that we are also sinful and that we are sinners in need of a savior. And the language around this throughout the Bible is that because of our sin that we're defiled and we're unclean and we're filthy and we're dirty. And sin causes all this and sin is just anything that God is not. And the nature of sin is it separates us from God. And we all have sin in our lives, even the best among us. That we don't do things that we should do and we do things that we shouldn't do. This is what the Bible calls sin. And sin, just the Bible says, makes us dirty. And the Bible continues to use this analogy and this metaphor about sin bringing about uncleanliness in our lives. And so for us, sin is like this woman in that we have this debilitating condition in our life. We live with this condition every single day. And sin makes us unclean in the eyes of a righteous and holy God. And it ultimately leads to separation from God, which leads to suffering and death. And I need you to know, guys, like this woman, there is nothing that you can do. There is no one that you can see. There is no amount of good stuff that you can do, no amount of money that you can give, no many times of being baptized or coming to church. It's only Jesus that can make you clean and heal you. Because this is the most important thing that we preach here at Doxa. This is what the Bible is all about. That sin is real. We are unclean. We can't do anything to get rid of it. And there's help and there's hope in Jesus. Only. And when we think about the Jews of this time, the most important day in the Jewish calendar was the day of Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And the Jews, as they would celebrate this every year, it was, a, it was a time where they would recognize the sin of the people. And then they would celebrate by bringing in two goats. One that was spotless, spotless, didn't have any blemishes on it, no defects. This symbolized the coming of Jesus without sin. And they would take this first goat and the priest who was the intercessor at this time, the mediator, the advocate for all the people, he would name the people's sin over the top of this goat this sacrificial goat, and then that goat would be sacrificed. It would be killed, it would bleed, and it was a picture of the forgiveness of sin that the people needed. It was all pointing to Jesus and what he would ultimately do on the cross. 
But during this day, they would have a second goat that was not the substitutionary goat, but this was the scapegoat. And similarly, the high priest would come and confess the sins of people over this animal. And instead of being sacrificed, they would release it into the wild and all the people would watch it run away as a symbol of the effects of sin being cast out of their lives. And this holy day that they would celebrate ultimately points to Jesus. And during it, they would have these ceremonial washings to show for their need of expiation, their need for cleansing, that humanity needs to be forgiven. And this woman, as these people would celebrate, she could never celebrate. She couldn't attend those services. And I love this. Jesus comes to her as her Yom Kippur. She couldn't go there because she was unclean. And Jesus came to her and said, I make you clean. I make you clean. And through faith, he just does that for her. Because this is what faith does. We come to Jesus and he takes all of our sin, all of our filth that separates us from God and he gives us all of his righteousness. This is Paul, what he writes in 2 Corinthians 5. And this is good news, this is the gospel. And so I'll ask you guys, have you ever been in that place of that woman? reaching out to Jesus? Have you ever asked Jesus and just reached out to him, which is an act of faith, and just said, Jesus, cleanse me of my sin? If the answer is yes, you have great reason to celebrate. You got a whole lot of access to contentment and joy in life. If you have not, like Jairus' plea, I would plead to you, you need to come to Jesus. He loves you, he's made a way for you, he's the only way. And I want you to know as we consider this woman, you're not too messy for Jesus. Some of you might think, I don't, you don't know what I've done, Rob. And I'm like, you don't know what I've done, but I know who Jesus and what he has done. And he is enough, he's a better savior than any of us are sinners. Come to Jesus. Let him save your life. Now. Because this is a great moment for this woman, right? I mean, this is a life-changing moment for this woman. But what about Jairus? Have you thought about this? I mean, Jairus is like, hey, Jesus, come. You know, come with me. My, my daughter is, is dying. And then Jesus gets interrupted by this woman. And Jairus is probably standing there like, hey, this is great. She's been sick for like 12 years. She can wait another hour. My daughter is dying. Let's go. Guys, here's the question. Do you trust Jesus when it seems like he's not on your timetable? Like when he doesn't meet your timing, do you trust him then? Do you trust him when there's something so important for you, desperately important to you, that you think Jesus should be doing, but he's just not doing it? Do you trust Jesus then? Guys, Jairus is about to experience this. So we've seen this father's request, a woman's faith, and in the final scene of this passage, we see a savior's power. Verses 35 through 43. So this has been an amazing day for this woman as she is saved. It's been an agonizing day for Jairus as he waits, and it's been a fatal day for this little girl. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble talking with this teacher any further? And I'm sure behind this question was kind of a whisper of mockery, kind of saying like, what, what difference did you think Jesus would do anyway? But Jesus hears this, and in verse 36, he says, do not fear only believe. He just looks Jairus in the eyes in this desperate moment, this difficult moment. He says, don't fear. Just keep believing. 
What Jesus is saying, he's saying, trust me. Trust me, I got you. And Doxa, I need you to hear this. We can trust Jesus not only when it looks like everything is going wrong, but we can trust Jesus even when everything has gone wrong. Jairus knew that he could, Jesus could heal, but now he has to trust that Jesus can resurrect. And the message for us today is we're not to just trust Jesus for the things that we think we can trust him for, but we're to trust Jesus for the things that he says that we can trust him for. And that includes like the worst case scenarios like this. Because when stuff happens in life and we get kicked in the faith by life, Jesus says throughout the scriptures that we can trust him, that he has a plan for us, that he's good, that he will bless us, he will take care of us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that he will work all things for the good of those who love him. And so we can trust him with everything, even when things don't go the way that we want them to. And so Jairus and Jesus, they show up at the house, verse 37, they get there, it's filled with people mourning and crying in this day, much like you have a wedding and you hire a band to come in, people would hire professional mourners to come in. And so they're playing music, they're crying, they're wailing. Jesus looks at them, he asks this like really insensitive sounding question and says, hey, why are you crying? Why are you making all this commotion? Strange question, but Jesus actually knows something that they don't. And he says, this little girl is not dead, but she's sleeping. And sleeping is just this euphemism. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses to speak of those who die in faith as believers. And guys, I need you to understand that death ultimately is not just physical death, but it's spiritual death, which is really just eternal separation from God. And some of you here, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead because you're living apart from Jesus. You've never came to Jesus in faith. And because of your sin, You will die like everyone else, and upon death, you will experience eternal death, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. This is the worst death of all. This is ultimate death. And again, it's Mother's Day. Why? Why would you talk about this? Guys, because I really do love you. And that's why this church was started. And I'm never gonna have an opportunity, I don't know if I'll ever have an opportunity to speak to some of you again, and I need you to know that this is the truth of the life we live in, and Jesus is the only answer. And you need Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, just trust me, even in death. Trust me. But hearing that this girl is sleeping and not dead, verse 40, the people laugh at him, they mock him. Jesus kicks him out of the room. I love that about Jesus. Like he's not just the one that plays with lambs, he just like, Chuck Norris, these guys out of the room or something, but kicks him out of the room. He's there. Verse 41, look at this. Takes this little girl by the hand and says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl arise. And this is the common language of parents that they would wake up their kids in the morning from a nap. And in verse 32, Jesus says, arise. And she opens her eyes. And who's the first person she sees? It's Jesus. Who's the first voice she hears? It's Jesus's. Who's the first touch she feels? Guys, it's Jesus. And this is a picture of the resurrection of the dead for all the children of God. That when we die, which we all will, for those who belong to Jesus and are children of God, on the other side of death, you will see Jesus's face. You will feel the touch of Jesus because Revelation says that he will come and he will wipe away that tear 
that last tear from your eye and you will hear the voice of Jesus and Jesus will be there to greet you and meet you on the other side of death. Guys, this is beautiful. This is the day that we long for. This is how good Jesus is and Jesus is saying, trust me with your life, trust me with everything, trust me with your death. And so this girl wakes up, walks around and Jesus is like, hey, get her a sandwich. She's hungry. And guys, even in this little thing, Jesus, this is the guy who calms a storm. This is a guy who healed demons, but he's also the one that notices a little girl is hungry. He cares about the small stuff in our life. Not just the big stuff, but the small stuff. He absolutely does. And so let me end with this, okay? We can trust Jesus. And some of you would hear this story and you would identify with this, this older woman and say, because my life has been, my, it's been hard and I've been alone. And my encouragement would be for you to reach out and grab hold of Jesus in faith so that you can experience the power of God. And I really believe that God is able, that some of you will, in fact, in this life, be healed of physical things that are going on because Jesus can do that, and he still is. But I also know that that might not happen for everybody, but everybody who comes to Jesus will be spiritually healed, and you will have eternity in heaven with him and that he is with you all the days of your life. So even if you don't experience the miraculous saving power of physical stuff in your life, that he's with you, empowering you with a promise that he will sustain you. Come to Jesus. Some of you would identify more with the parents and be like, it's not me, but it's, it's my family, it's my kid. Be like Jairus and go to Jesus. Grab hold of Jesus in faith and bring him back into your family by your presence and your witness and teach your family. Have your family meet Jesus and unleash the power of God in your home. Because we all need Jesus. Jesus is the one that we can trust for everything all the time. That Jesus is God and he's the one who suffered and bled like the woman He's the one who suffered and died like the girl. And our Jesus rose that in him we might rise to be together with him forever, amen? We can trust Jesus with everything all the time. So let me just end way out of time, but I'm gonna give you three things. Maybe you're sitting here being like, great, trust. How do I cultivate trust in my life? Like how can I actually learn to trust Jesus more? Three things real quick. Remember, it's gonna come up here on the screen. The first thing you can do is simply remember. Guys, this is why we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible so that we can be like just Bible nerds and get Jesus to love us more because we're super religious, but we read the Bible so that we can listen to and be reminded of the promises of God in our life. That we read and we remember the promises of God. And so maybe when I'm even thinking about like, oh man, I'm scared about this thing. I think I messed up too far. Like, is God just done with me? I'll be like, well, I just read that story of that unclean woman. And he, he made her clean. And he loved her. Or maybe I can think like, does God really even care about this little thing that I have going on in my life? And I'll be like, well, I just read about Jairus' little daughter this morning. And I'm reminded of the truth that he does care. He cared about this little girl being hungry. And when we read scripture and remember scripture, when those times in life cause us to doubt and we start to twist who God really is, God, the Holy Spirit, uses that scripture to remind us of who he actually is and who we are. And so we remember, we recount. I don't know if you do this. I started doing this a few years ago. Is I have like a journal that I just keep prayer requests in. And as I do this, 
Like as I write things down, and then when I see God kind of show up and move and answer those prayer requests, rather than me just being like, huh, that's cool, I actually write down a date next to him. And what I've found in my life is that every morning when I'm looking at this and I add a different date in there or something like that, I'm reminded that God actually answers prayers. And then he's powerful to do it. And that inspires me, that gives me faith to keep going. And then finally, pray. Guys, God's word is not just something that to be read by us, but to pray. And so pray back the promises of God. And then when you're in those moments, pray the prayer of the man in Mark 9, who, who was like, help me with my unbelief. We pray, so we remember, recount, and we pray. Guys, Jesus can be trusted with everything, all the time. Let me pray. So Father, I love you, and in some ways I would feel just like a a hypocrite that if I stood up here and just said, yep, that's how I view my life all the time, that Jesus, you can be trusted with everything all the time, and so God, I, I just ask that you would help me with my unbelief, those moments where there's stuff going on in my life, whether it's with my kids or my finances or just whatever, where I'm tempted to not trust you. Help me to remember the truth of who you are and how you love and how powerful you are. Let me just trust you as I try and live for you. And God, let us be a church that would be constantly remembering your goodness and your power and your faithfulness and weld that up in faith and trust in us as we follow you. And so Jesus, we we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in your name, amen. So during these last two songs, we're actually gonna